my job as a speaker is not to get done and, and be happy that you're following Andrew Gomison. My hope as a speaker is to get done and find that you're following the Lord Jesus more closely. Because I want it said of me as it was said of Peter and John that although they knew he was an unlearned man, they took notice that he had been with Jesus. And if that's the testimony that comes out when my time comes and I have a funeral and some of you may be gathered there, I hope that's the testimony that comes out that you take notice that I've been with Jesus because that is what is most important. Not what I say. Because I'm an imperfect person who will let you down. Definitely good to be with you this morning. And um, I think it would be good just to make mention of the fact that it is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. I will never forget that day. Um, I was sitting in my room working on um, my college work and... Um, I think I might have heard something about the first plane or read it on the news because I would tend to kind of glance at the news as I was preparing for my day. Um, I don't remember directly, but then my brother ran downstairs about a half an hour later and said, um, the United States is under attack. And at that point, life started to move in slow motion. My family did not have a TV at the time. Uh, we had a TV, but it was hooked to a VCR and a DVD player. We didn't watch TV, but we went and got an antenna and for the next three or four days, along with the rest of America, we were glued to the television, wondering what was going to happen. And also, being so blown away by the fact that something like that could happen on our own um, soil. It was my generation's Pearl Harbor. You think when you're in America, you're insulated, and then God allows something like that to happen, and you realize that apart from God, we do not have safety. And um, so I'm just very thankful that in times like that and also in times of upheaval like the ones we are living through right now, that we still serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm reminded of Jesus who when he was with his disciples at the Last Supper said, I will not leave you comfortless but I will give you a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into all truth. Um, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, the disciples were scared. They didn't know what that meant. Remember, we talked about in the breaking of bread how they remembered his words later. Um, and of course, 
things like the transfiguration, Peter was only able to speak about after Jesus had gone to heaven because Jesus told him specifically, don't talk about this while I'm here. Sometimes we wonder about those things, but God has a purpose in all of it. Um, so I just wanted uh, to acknowledge that and just acknowledge the fact that God is still that same God that he was in this book of Acts that we are studying. So with that being said, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we're starting today in verse 23. And... To me, this was a very encouraging passage, um, and we'll get into exactly why that was as we unfold today, but let's start reading from Acts 18, verse 23. I'm going to read this passage, and then I will open in a word of prayer. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Philigria in order, strengthening the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for Apollos. We, Lord, we pray that as we open um, these verses uh, together and study them, that you would be present here and that you would show us what it is you want us to learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think one of the themes of this message today is the importance of discipleship. A lot of times in our evangelical circles, we talk about the need to share the gospel. And we talk about the Great Commission, which is go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel um, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, but then we stop there a lot of times. We don't realize that the second half of the Great Commission is just as important, which is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have told you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we have here in this situation a passionate man named Apollos who had a very limited knowledge of the truth, but that which he knew he preached accurately. So he cared about the truth and he's speaking passionately in the synagogue and that's 
where we find him. So let's read again together the first three verses of our section. If you're taking notes, I just called this message admonishing and encouraging Apollos. And the first point is Apollos passionately shares the scriptures. Acts 18, 23 to 25 once again says, And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Philgria in order to strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. First of all, I want to mention in verse 23, this is in reference to Paul. Paul is beginning his third missionary journey. Now we don't know how much time passed between verse 22 and 23 of Acts 18. But it's evident to, Paul, to us that Paul had a one-track mind and that was ministering for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he spends time and goes over to the country of Galatia and Phlegria and he strengthens the brethren. He encourages the brethren. It's not enough to go into a place to share the gospel and then to give a report to your home church saying how many people came to know the Lord. Those numbers are not necessarily bad things. Please don't get me wrong. But one of the things that happens is we say this many people came to know the Lord, but then we never see them in church again. Are they really people that came to know the Lord or did they just say the words? Because a prayer doesn't save you. Doing business with Almighty God and coming to an honest assessment of yourself that you need Him and accepting His free gift of salvation, that's what saves you. Now, an interesting thing that was pointed out to me as I was studying this is that these regions that Paul is talking about in verse 23 are regions that he was expressly forbidden himself by the Holy Spirit from going to. Turn with me back, if you would, to Acts 16, verse 6. Acts 16, verse 6. And we read in Acts 16, verse 6, Now when they had gone through Philegra and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, when you think about this, you don't often think of the Holy Ghost as being someone that prevents you from doing something, especially if it's a good thing like preaching the gospel. But Paul, for whatever reason, was forbidden from preaching the gospel. And yet, when he goes to strengthen the churches, he's strengthening people in these very places where he was forbidden to go, which means he wasn't the only one spreading the gospel. God had this mission in Galatia and Phlegria for other saints of the church of God. Isn't it wonderful that God has a purpose and a plan for each of us? I think sometimes we get frustrated when we want to do the work of the Lord, but we want to do the work that God has for somebody else. We say, I wish I could do that work. And God says, but hey, that's not the work that I called you to do. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done God's way will never lack his resources. But we have to do it God's way. 
And so then we come to verse 24 and we meet this man named Apollos. And it says several things about Apollos in this passage. Um, it says, A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, of course, as these actions are taking place, Luke, I'm sure, is starting to jot his notes for the book of Acts. But this isn't written down anywhere at this point. So he can only go on the Old Testament. And we don't know who instructed him, but we know that he was instructed in the way of the Lord and he was fervent in the spirit. And he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Remember, John was the forerunner for Jesus. And he was baptizing people not to give them salvation, but to prepare their hearts to receive the gospel that Jesus was going to give. He said, there is one coming after me whose sandal latchet I am not worthy to unloose. We have a human tendency to think we're pretty good. We struggle with pride. But what an example of John the Baptist to say, there's one coming after me that is greater than I. And when Jesus came to him to be baptized in the Sea of Galilee, what did he say? He said, it is I that should be baptized of you. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so now, for, so, for thus it becometh all righteousness. He says, this is part of God's plan for you to baptize me. And when the baptism happened, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But so Apollos knows that Jesus came. He knows that he was a good teacher. He knows the baptism of John. He knows that John was preparing the way. But it just might be the case that he had heard that Jesus died, but he never heard of the resurrection. He didn't hear the completion of the story. I like to think that about the centurion at the foot of the cross too. Remember he said, surely this man was the son of God. My hope and prayer is that somebody came to him. Or perhaps he was one of the 500. Because the Bible says that Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. And of course, scientists say the odds of 500 people having the exact same delusion is infinitesimal. So this is an extremely great testimony to the fact that the resurrection is true. That 500 people saw Jesus at once. But for whatever reason, he does not know the whole of the gospel. But the things that he does know... He teaches diligently. I think he has a desire to teach accurately. And that is why he's humble for the next part of our study. Let's look by way of cross-reference before we move on. 
to the next section. Now at 1 Thessalonians 5.14, that's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. If somebody gets there, if you could stand and read it for us, that would be amazing. So this is talking about discipleship. We are to comfort the weak, raise them up, make them better than they are right now. Paul said it this way, let each esteem other better than themselves. It can be a tendency of us to be like, well, I'm on this spiritual plane, they're on this spiritual plane, so they're below me. But no, the goal of someone who is a minister of the gospel or the goal of someone who is part of the body of Christ is to come alongside other members of the body of Christ and to raise them up. We're to encourage one another and build each other up. We're to exhort one another to good works, as it says in Hebrews, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Romans 12, 10 to 12. Devoted one to another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Again, Paul is laying out the pattern of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we could do a whole sermon just on those few verses. Because we could elaborate on each point that is made there. But I love the way Paul goes into detail and he says, we need to continue to encourage one another and to walk along this road together. Even when even the road to Emmaus, think about that. There were two walking on the road to Emmaus discussing these things. Imagine how much more sorrow one would have had if he hadn't had his brother to hold him up. We need each other. There is a cancer going through our culture today that says, live for yourself. Be an individual. And even Christians are buying off on it. I've seen several memes on Facebook from women even who name the name of Christ, who say, I don't need men. Do you realize that when you say you don't need men, you are literally discounting 50% of created humanity. And we would be doing the same if we said, I don't need my brother in Christ or I don't need my sister in Christ. We need each other. We were created to be in community. Why did God create Eve? Because there was not found for Adam a helper for him. And God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And our culture says, it's awesome for a man to be alone. But I'll tell you, if nothing else, if you learn nothing else from the pandemic, I hope you learned how much we need each other. Because we were not made to live lives in solitary.
There is a tale told of the great English actor, Marcredi. An eminent preacher once said to him, I wish you would explain to me something. Well, what is it? I don't know that I can explain anything to a preacher. The preacher said, well, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction, and the crowds come wherever you go. I am preaching the essential and the unchangeable truth, and I'm not getting any crowd at all. Marcredi's answer was this. This is quite simple. I can tell the difference between us. I present my fiction as though it were truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. If we believe something, we need to present it in a passionate way. Because we believe it's truth, and we cannot go without sharing it. That was from G. Campbell Morgan on Preaching, page 36. The second point that I want to bring out is Apollos shows a teachable spirit. Acts 18.26 says, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded on him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos knew the truth, but he didn't know the whole truth. See, as we go through our, our lives and as we've gone through this pandemic even, we've learned things about COVID that we didn't know before or about a particular thing that we didn't know before. There were people that believed that the earth was flat until people began to sail around the world. And then we realized that it's round. And medical advances come with time. Infant mortality is not nearly what it was in the colonial era because we know certain things. Like, for instance, just an example, corsets were a big reason why women lost their babies because corsets were tight. They kept everything in place, true, but they also put them in unnatural places. So you learn things. And to apply this to our passage, Apollos knew the truth, but he didn't know the whole truth. Priscilla and Aquila saw the potential in Apollos and said, we're going to pull him aside. We're going to share to him the way of Christ more perfectly. And they very well could have shared with him what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, but he rose again according to the scriptures. The tomb is empty. Now, Apollos could have gotten up in arms and been like, I know the truth. I'm preaching boldly. I love the Lord. But you don't see that here. You see him embracing the opportunity to learn from them. So I like to picture it in this way. Priscilla and Aquila see Apollos at the synagogue. They invite him over for Saturday brunch after the synagogue and they explain to him the ways of the Lord. And I think it's great to see a married couple working together in the service of the Lord Jesus. 
And that's what we see in Priscilla and Aquila. Here's just a little bit about Apollos. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, Apollos means destroyer, according to the Holman Bible Dictionary, a name which would prove apropos as he grew to be a man who was mighty in the Scriptures. And when he was taught the way of God more accurately by Priscilla and Aquila, he began to reach his full potential as a destroyer of Jewish arguments against Jesus. And so filled with the Holy Word and the Holy Spirit, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And then we also read that instead of abusing the young and brilliant preacher for his ignorance, particularly Priscilla gave him the fuller story of the life and work of Jesus and of the apostolic period to fill in the gaps in his knowledge. It is a needed and delicate task, this thing of teaching gifted young ministers. They do not learn it all in schools. More of it comes from contact with men and women rich in grace and in the knowledge of God's ways. And then we, we read of Apollos. Although his natural abilities could have made him proud, Apollos proved himself willing to learn according to Acts 18.26. God used Priscilla and Aquila, fresh from months of traveling and learning with the Apostle Paul, to give Apollos the complete gospel. Because Apollos did not hesitate to be a student, he became an even better teacher. How much does your willingness to learn affect God's efforts to help you become all that he wants you to be? Be humble enough to let others teach you truths and skills that can make you more a more effective Christian witness. And these insights are from a website called Precept Austin. I would definitely recommend it if you're studying a certain passage of Scripture. But I've thought about this a lot ever since I heard a preacher say that every man in their life needs a Paul to follow and a Timothy to teach. If you look at your life as an opportunity to learn from the Pauls in your life and to teach the Timothys in your life, it will give you balance. It will keep you humble and thirsting for more knowledge whereby you can help other people. Let's look at 2 Peter 3.18. So Peter is telling his audience to grow in grace. Peter says in this book, I am soon to put off my earthly tent. But he wants to make sure that people that come behind him are growing in grace. I'm actually taking a free class through Dallas Theological Seminary on biblical leadership. And it's taught by Howard Hendricks. And one of the things he says is, a good leader is someone who's always thinking about his successor. Who realizes that he will not be in his place of ministry forever. 
Peter is realizing as he writes this epistle, I'm not going to be here much longer. But I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's where the power comes from. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So I know I quoted this earlier, but just to remind us, these two verses are the whole Great Commission. Please do not have the Great Commission by only sharing the first part. The first part is to baptize them in the name of Jesus, to bring them into the family of God. The second part is to disciple them so they stay strong in the faith. Paul said to Timothy, again, talking about a succession plan, he said, commit these things unto faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Life is a matter of building. Each of us has the opportunity to build something, a secure family, a good reputation, a career, a relationship to God. But some of these things can disappear almost overnight due to financial losses, natural disasters, and other unforeseen difficulties. What are we to do? Daniel Webster offered excellent advice saying, if we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on man's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with just fear of God and love of their fellow men, we engrave on these tablets something which time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. That's from a publication called Morning Glory from July 3rd, 1993. What a wonderful testimony that is. Paul said, you are my epistles known and read of all men. Why? Because nothing speaks more powerfully to the gospel than a changed life. We can spend four hours talking about the Christian doctrines, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. We should know our Christian doctrines. But the most powerful thing you can do is to be able to stand up in the assembly and say, I was one way, but God made me another way. Or as it's expressed in The Chosen by Mary Magdalene, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was Jesus. That's my testimony. I was one way, but now I'm completely different. Because Jesus tells me that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
We see the results of Apollos' humility and his willingness to learn that his ministry grows. There is no greater joy than discipling someone and see them grow in the Lord Jesus. The Apostle John said in John, the second epistle, I have no greater joy than that my children are walking in truth. And I don't have children of my own, but I love watching my younger siblings follow the Lord. I was just talking to my sister Charity about the fact that if I had followed the world's convention and moved out of my house at 18 years old, I probably wouldn't know her that well. Because she wasn't born until I was 22. But because I've been able to live with her, watch her grow up, watch her grow in grace, we're good friends, despite our 22-year age gap. And I thank God for her every day. We see Apollo's ministry growing. So he learns this complete gospel, but he doesn't keep it to himself. It says, And when he was disposed, verse 27, to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he was come, he helped them much. Which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Following the Apostle Paul, what did the Apostle Paul do as soon as he was converted? He went to the synagogues and he says, Jesus is the Christ. And now Apollos is doing the same thing. He goes to the people He encourages the church and he tells the unbelievers, Jesus is the Christ. Having been instructed by Priscilla and Aquila, it is not surprising that his message was identical to the Apostle Paul, who he had not met, but he had trained Priscilla and Aquila. So this is a growth of the Christian family tree. Paul trains Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila... Train Apollos. And it says, Luke records a similar description of Paul among the Jews in Thessalonica, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is Christ the Messiah. Acts 17.3 Acts 18.5 And Acts 9.22 Apollos is in Corinth building on the foundation that Paul had laid earlier, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 4, and 17. And then John MacArthur adds, Apollos was so effective in his discord that he crushed his opponent, totally disproving them at every point. His devastating performance in the public debates made a profound impact on the Corinthian church. They soon held him in the same high esteem in which they held Peter and Paul. We read that Paul would later write, some say I am of Paul, some say I am of Apollos. But Paul says the most important thing is to be of Christ. 
We tend to follow men and women that we admire. I don't think there's anything wrong with admiring people that have helped us along the journey. But the important thing is that our focus is on Christ. My job as a speaker is not to get done and, and be happy that you're following Andrew Gomison. My hope as a speaker is to get done and find that you're following the Lord Jesus more closely. Because I want it said of me as it was said of Peter and John that although they knew he was an unlearned man, they took notice that he had been with Jesus. And if that's the testimony that comes out when my time comes and I have a funeral and some of you may be gathered there, I hope that's the testimony that comes out that you take notice that I've been with Jesus because that is what is most important. Not what I say. Because I'm an imperfect person who will let you down. Let's look quickly at Philippians 2, 19 and 20. Philippians 2, 19 and 20. As you're turning there, I just want to make an observation that... Um, Dave Gesick, who writes the Enduring Word Commentary, said that there is speculation by scholars that Apollos may have been the writer of the book of Hebrews. Because he was someone that was familiar with Judaism and the baptism of John. And then Priscilla and Aquila come in, they give him the complete gospel. And the whole book of Hebrews is taking arguments for Judaism and saying why it was incomplete and saying how Jesus completed it. And he said, somebody asked him if he believed that. And he said, all I can say is I can give you a definite maybe. So that's all I'm going to do here is give you a definite maybe. Because it's clear that if God wanted us to know definitively who wrote Hebrews, he would have told us. But it's an interesting thought to consider that perhaps Apollos, this one who had an incomplete knowledge of the gospel, gets the complete knowledge of the gospel and is able by the Holy Spirit to pen a book with the power of Hebrews. I'm actually going through it in my personal devotions right now, which makes that even more interesting. So if somebody has Philippians 2, 19 and 20, if you could read it for us. Paul is saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you because I know that you need spiritual, tender, loving care. And Timothy's going to come and he's going to care for you. That's why we need to commit these things to faithful men. Because we don't want to be in the position of Paul who says, I only know one person who will care for your state and that's Timothy. There's encouragement there, but there's also sadness. Imagine how sad Paul must have been to write those words. We need to be like-minded. We need to be of one accord like the people of Acts chapter 2.
And then 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6, just by way of quick review. If you get there, please read it. So I have to wonder if Apollos might have eventually met some of these people. Because of course they've all fallen asleep now. This was thousands of years ago. But when Paul writes Corinthians, he's saying the greater part are still with us. Imagine being able to talk to someone and get a first-hand account of what it was like to see the risen Christ in person. That had to be amazing. Just have a couple quotes to end today. First from A.W. Pink. Growing in grace is growing downward. It is the forming of a lower estimate of ourselves. It is a deepening realization of our nothingness. It is a heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of God's mercies. And you see this in Paul's life. Because what does he say in his early epistle? I'm the least of all the apostles. In his last epistle, 2 Timothy, he says, this is a true saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was chief. No, of whom I am chief. Paul knew that there were two members in his body warring against each other. With the flesh he served sin, but with the spirit he served God. But the closer he got to God, the farther away he felt in some ways. Because he goes from being the least of the apostles early in his ministry to being the chiefest of sinners. Because growing in grace is growing downward in our estimation of ourselves. And then finally, from C.H. Spurgeon, he says, I always say to young fellows who consult me about the ministry, don't be a minister if you can help it. Because if the man can help it, God never called him. But if he cannot help him, and he must preach or die, then he is the man. So if God called you to preach and you can't help but not preach, you better do it. I know what it's like to be Jonah and resist God's call. Fortunately, I never ran all the way to Tarshish. But I wasted years of my life arguing with God. And God told me, Andrew, who made your mouth? Have not I the Lord? And then he said, as he said to Moses, go and I will tell you what to speak. And maybe God's purpose for you is not to have a pulpit on Sunday morning. But maybe he's encouraging you to talk to a neighbor to give them the truth. Nobody likes to hear that their house is on fire. But if we fail to share the gospel, and we let people's houses burn, then their eternity is doomed. There's only two choices, heaven or hell. 
I pray that today you will choose heaven. Jesus said, if the Son therefore shall set you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Apollos. We thank you for this example of a young, zealous disciple who is willing to learn. We pray that we would be more effective disciplers and disciples of you. And we pray that if there be anyone here that does not know you in a personal way, that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name and for his praise, amen.